Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where we are passionate about sharing the life-changing message of Jesus with Vancouver and beyond. Today's podcast is from our special teaching series, Simple Christmas. We're in the midst of all the busyness and chaos of the holiday season. We are taking the time to refocus on the simple truths found in the birth of Jesus Christ. All right, let's take our Bibles and let's go to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. I thought that would be a great start to our Christmas series. And uh, just remembering uh, the fact that Jesus came to earth for us. And I think it's just all come together so great this morning. And uh, I'm excited to share with you a a couple of uh, week series. A few, actually more than a couple weeks, three or four weeks here as we uh, get through the Christmas season. And I'm calling it Simple Christmas. And uh, the reason I'm calling it that is because uh, I don't know uh, maybe where, what your upbringing was like, but I know for me, Christmas was kind of a crazy time. It was just so busy. There's so much stuff going on. And many of you know I grew up in a pastor's home, and so uh, w- that meant that I had to be at every Christmas event, you know, all these Christmas things going on, and I had to be there, and, uh, and, uh, and that's fine. Obviously, we want everyone to go to the Christmas events, but there was all of that, plus there was family, and there was all sorts of things going on. And sometimes it's easy to lose sight in the busyness of the season of just the simplistic thoughts that we are to remember, and really one of the reasons that we do celebrate Christmas is to remember the simplicity of Jesus Christ being born, coming to this earth, and uh, coming to die for our sins, redeem us. And so that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, just some simple thoughts, because I recognize uh, how busy you guys are going to be over the next few weeks. I recognize that you're going to be going from work things to family things to uh, uh, all sorts of, and then trying to fit in all your favorite Christmas movies, right? Trying to fit them all in, and now you'll be up late on Saturday nights watching, well, not Elf now, you don't have to watch that movie anymore, right? Uh, But watching other things, and and, uh, and I know that it just a lot happens in our minds and in our lives. And so I want to take the few weeks that we have and just sort of boil it down to some simple thoughts about Christmas, things for us to remember. Because obviously, I think you guys understand, Christmas season's in full swing. Now, thankfully in Canada, it's not as early as in the United States. I, I'm amazed sometimes at friends of mine that live in the States that are doing Christmas stuff like mid-November. I mean, before American Thanksgiving, they're doing all of this stuff. And I'm like, I, I'd be so sick of Christmas music if I started that early. Uh, and so thankfully here, we don't start as early. And if you start early at Christmas, that's totally fine. I'm not upset about it or anything. That's, that's on you. Um, but, uh, but for me, uh, definitely we are well into it right now. And, and as Christians, we know it's supposed to be a time of, of good cheer, right? And peace on earth and goodwill towards men and all of these nice things that we say. But at the same time, the same time that it's supposed to be this happy season and and people are trying to impress each other with how much they're spending on gifts and all of these things, at the same time, I realize that for many people, Christmas is difficult as well. In fact, I would say probably for all of us, Christmas can be difficult in some respects. It's interesting, but it's a documented fact, and there's actually been many studies done on it, that many people struggle more during holiday seasons with depression, with discouragement, with challenges, more than any other time in the year, in fact. Uh, there's a study done in the United States, and I, I, I find most studies in the U.S. are parallel a little bit to Canada. I couldn't find one that was done in Canada. But in the United States, they say that on average, every Christmas season, 45% of the country dread the Christmas season. They don't look forward to it. 45%. I thought that was very high, wouldn't you? I I thought it was very high. But 45%, the study said, of people dread the coming season because uh, for for many different reasons. Maybe it's a reminder of a loved one that's not going to be there with you this Christmas season. Maybe it's uh, the fact that 
um, there's a difficult family relationship and you're going to see that person this, you know, this, this season. Uh, maybe it's a, uh, uh, there's family tension. Maybe there's uh, separation that's taken place within a family during the year, and now it's Christmas time, and you're supposed to see one another. Uh, for many people, a lot of things, the reasons they dread it is because it ends, or it signifies the end of a year where, once again, the dreams they had were not fulfilled. The expectations they had were not met, and Christmas sort of signifies the end of that year, and again, we're supposed to create new plans and have new things that we're looking forward to for the year ahead. There's the added busyness, of course. There's all the extra activities. Uh, there's the financial stress. If you have, if you have a, a lot of children, there's the financial stress, right? There's the comparison stuff. There's all of those things that you're thinking about. Um, and if it's not you, it's somebody you know who's struggling. If it's not you, some, some of you are just like, man, I, I don't feel any of those things at all. I cannot wait. Christmas is the best time of the year, you know, and I wear bells on my shoes all, all, uh, all December. But if it's not you, there definitely is someone else around you who is struggling. So the question is, I want to start the series off is, is in a world that often looks in a negative view at Christmas, that struggles in some ways, uh, for you, you may be dreading certain things or you're already looking at your bank account and you're already saying, uh, okay, this is not a good start for me. Whatever it may be, how do we get through this season with joy, right? How do we not forget the, 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 the things that are supposed to be important to us as Christians? How do we uh, continue to uh, thrive when maybe other people are struggling or maybe we are even struggling? To me, the answer comes down to one simple thing, and that's what we're going to talk about today, the one simple idea of hope. So we're going to talk today about hope, hope that is found in Jesus Christ during this Christmas season. Now, hope is an essential ingredient to an abundant life. I want you to realize that. John 10.10 10 talks about how we are to have an abundant life as Christians, and hope to me is a very important ingredient for that. That's why in Proverbs it tells us if hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. You know that verse? It makes us uh, sad. It, it, it is discouraging to us if, uh, uh, if, if hope is deferred. I found an interesting study about a man by the name of Dr. Uh, Victor Frankl, and he was a prisoner in the Auschwitz uh, prison camp during the Holocaust. Now, he was a doctor, and he was a psychiatrist, and, and uh, you can take a psychiatrist out of his office, but you can't take the psych I don't know how you say that phrase. Anyway, you know what I'm saying, right? You can remove them from his office and uh, chase lounge, but uh, they're still psychologists. And I've known many, and they're always trying to analyze me, and I always feel a little uncomfortable about that, you know? It's like, they're like, oh, why do you feel that way? Oh, anyway. Uh, so this guy, though, I mean, imagine. It's, it's during the Holocaust. He was put into a prison camp, Auschwitz, which was a, a famous one. In fact, during his time during the war, he was in four different uh, camps during that time. But obviously, as a psychiatrist, he observed and closely observed all of the men that would go through the camps and he was trying to identify and trying to see what it was that stood out to him about these men between the ones who survived and held on and the ones who simply gave up and ultimately lost their lives and so through his years that he spent in these camps he observed and he watched and he looked at him and in a book that he wrote called man's search for meaning he wrote this he said the prisoner uh, the prisoner who has lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. He said to the one who's lost faith in his future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. What he's talking about here is they lost hope. They lost faith. They lost hope in the fact that anything could possibly come of this or that they would survive this. 
The point is, is that hope is a very powerful aspect of the human experience. And for us as Christians, we're not just talking about uh, being optimistic for the future. What we're talking about is the hope that comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're talking about the fact that as Christians, to us, Jesus was so much more than just a baby born in the middle of nowhere 2,000 years ago. He's so much more to us than, uh, um, than, than someone who ju- just a, an average baby that was born. We know that in Jesus, we discover the differences uh, in our lives. When we uh, know who Jesus is, we know that there was so much different about him and the difference that he can bring to us. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, where we're going to be today, uh, verse number 6, it's a prophecy that was made of Jesus Christ, of his coming, that was given to us 700 years before Jesus was even born. So 700 years, a description was given to him. And what I want to show you today is that in this description of the Messiah, we see um, aspects of hope that we can hold on to. So in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6, I've got the verse here for us. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So in this passage, Isaiah uses four different qualities to describe the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And in each of these descriptions, what I want to show to you this morning is we see a reason for our hope. The reason that we have hope during this season. The reason that we look to the coming of Jesus Christ and see hope and hope that we can hold on to. So we're going to look at these descriptions this morning and what we're going to do is find the hope that we see in Christ. And then if it's something that, well, definitely, I believe for all of us, we need to be reminded of the hope we have in him. But as well, it's a way for us to share it during the Christmas season with those that we come in contact with. You will meet someone at your workplace. You will come across somebody who is not having the greatest Christmas season. And I hope that you'll be able to share some of these uh, hopes. I hope that you'll share the hope with them and, uh, and that it'll be useful to you during the Christmas season. So you say, well, didn't we preach this last Christmas? Does anybody remember the Christmas series last year? Yeah, we did, didn't we? I figured it's a great place to return to, don't you think? Some, some people are like, wait a minute. Yeah, we did. We did a whole series on this verse, uh, but we're not doing a whole series on this verse just today, okay? And it's okay to look at passages at different ways. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. The first thing I want you to see, that Jesus as the wonderful counselor, what he does is it reveals God's love for me. So the wonderful counselor reveals God's love for me. Now, Isaiah here... He refers to the coming Messiah as the wonderful counselor. Now, in the Hebrew, the word uh, for wonderful is the word pele. Think of the old soccer player, if you remember that, P-E-L-E. And uh, what it means is it, it's really talking about the idea of a supernatural event, something that's, that's not possible in human strength. It's a uniqueness that goes on. It's something that is marvelous, something that's only possible by a supernatural act of God. And so he says, first of all, he is wonderful. He is marvelous. There's a uniqueness to the coming Messiah that is not uh, explainable here on earth. But then he calls him our counselor, which would be the idea of our guide. And so we put those two together and we say, man, Jesus is our supernatural guide is what he is. He's our supernatural guide. He is our counselor, our guide. He is wonderful. And because he is our guide, guess what? We can trust him. We can trust him because there's a supernatural aspect to Jesus that none of us contain. Now, when I was growing up, um, there was a man in our church um, who was blind. And uh, many of you know him, Mr. Chu, and many of you know him, and, and he's blind. And, and uh, growing up as a kid, 
there were occasions, and I don't even remember why the occasion was, but there was occasions that, uh, that I was asked to be his guide for whatever reason, just lead him somewhere within the church or around the block, whatever it may be. They used to live close to the church. And I'll never forget that as a, as a kid, I mean, I was probably uh, nine or 10 years old and, uh, and Mr. Chu would say, hey, can you help me get to this area or guide me or whatever? And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll never forget that because it was just so, so uh, uh, it was kind of cool for me, you know, to lead an adult around as a, as a kid. And, um, and, and so he asked me to be his guide a few things. But whenever he asked me to be his guide, you know what I did not do? I wasn't like, all right, okay, come on, let's go, follow me. You know, <laughs> just take off. Uh, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. What does it mean to be a guide to someone who's uh, uh, impaired in their vision is that I would go over and I would stand next to him and he would put his hand on my shoulder put his left hand on my right shoulder, and he'd have his stick as well. And then I would just walk slowly, and I would tell him. I would tell him what we're doing. Okay, we're, gonna go, we're at the stairs now. We're going to go down the stairs. Okay, we're going to turn right, you know, and uh, watch out for this. And I would try to guide him, and I would lead him around in a, in a wherever it was that he needed to go. And even as a young child, uh, I could lead him and, and point him uh, in the right direction. There could not be any distance between us. There had to be a connection. There had to be a closeness that was taking place. And, and to me, that's how I view the relationship that we have with Jesus as our, our, our uh, supernatural guide, as our, as our wonderful counselor. The idea that we need to be close to him so that he can lead us where he wants us to go. And to me, the coolest part about it is that he wants to be close to us. That God would even want, we learned about it today in our reading. I mean, he holds the universe in his hand. He's like, I want to be close. You know, in those movies, you know, when they go from like a total view out and then zoom all the way in. That's how I imagine God. You know, he's looking at us like, man, that little speck of dust. There's Paul down there. Boom, you know. And he wants to be close to me. He wants to be close to us. And what that shows us is it shows us his love. Think about it. He's our wonderful guide. He wants to lead us. He wants us to be close to him. To me, that just speaks so loudly of his love for us that he would want to even be close to us. Think about it. God loved us so much that not only does he want to guide us, not only does he want to be close to us, but he sent his son and made it possible that we could be close to him for eternity. That, think about that. Not only was he like, oh, while you're on the earth, you know, I'll lead you, I'll help you. He says, no, I want to be close to you for eternity. Forever and ever I want to be close to you. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, it tells us, um, for God, uh, sorry, but God commendeth his love toward us. The word commendeth means demonstrated. He revealed his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that for a minute. He was a sinner. You, you know, today, if, if someone doesn't do something you like or you, uh, for whatever reason, don't want to be around them, I mean, you don't want to be around them, but we sinned against the holy God and he's like, I want to be there. I want to reveal, reveal my love to you. In uh, John chapter three and verse number 16, and I'm having trouble with this today, so if you could just help me out, Christian, by just rolling my slides for me. John chapter 3 and verse number 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, that's the idea of trusting or clinging to him. Whosoever trusts in him should not perish, that means be lost forever, but have everlasting life. Guess what? In everlasting life, we're close to him. We're <laughs> right there next to him. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. That's the idea of reject or judge or pass sentence on the world. He says, but that the world through him might be saved. Think about it. Jesus did not just die for your sins. He died so that we could spend eternity with God, the God of the universe. Behold our God, the one who holds the universe in his hand. He wants to be with us. That's how much he loves us. Now, that's so unique, and I think uh, we have a hard time with that because we're like, well, we love people. We want to be around people, but have you ever had family from out of town come and stay with you? 
Anybody? <laughs> you ever have family? Man, you love your family, right? I love my family. But guess what? I like it when they go back to their homes as well, don't you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love them, but I don't know that I want to be that close to them all of the time, right? I mean, we have our family and all, all those kind of things. And we, we understand it in that way, but think about it. God loves us so much, and not only does he love us, but he wants to be near us for eternity, forever. God wants to be with us. To me, that brings me great hope. <laughs> when I feel rejected myself, when I feel, uh, go through times personally where I'm like, man, it's just, it's a struggle. I'm not, I'm not feeling uh, close to people or I'm, I'm struggling personally. That can encourage you. That can give you hope. The fact that an eternal God, he's a wonderful counselor. He's your guide. He wants to lead you. He wants to direct you. And that means you got to be right here next to him. He wants you to be close to him. And not only just for this life, but for eternity, God wants to be close. That to me is a great illustration of God's love for us. And then he made it possible by sending his son so that we could go to heaven all through the relationship of Jesus Christ and his son that came to earth. So the question is, are you turning to God as your guide right now? Are you trying to get through life on your own right now? Are you trying to just work things out by yourself? Are you trusting in God? Are you turning to him and turning to his guidebook, to his word for help and direction? Are you being close to him? He loves you. He wants to be here. The problem is, is that so many Christians... What we do is we kind of push him away. He's like, hey, I'm right here for you. And we're like, nah, I got it figured out. I got it figured out. I can do it. But listen, during this Christmas season, don't forget the fact that God just loves you in an incredible way. And that can bring incredible and encouraging hope to us. Don't be the person who wanders away from the guide on the tour. You ever be that person? You ever been on a guide, on a guided tour before? I've been on these before when you're in school, you know, and then there's always that one person who lingers, you know, back there, or they're like, oh, I'm going down this hallway, you know, and then the guide turns to everybody and is like, hey, where's so-and-so? I don't know. Well, what does that do? We got to go find them, right? It holds us up. It holds everybody back. Okay, don't be that person. Stay close to the guide, okay? Get the information you need. Continue on. Stay, stay close to God, and that'll give you, I believe, a lot of help and encouragement but as well as we consider his love for us, it's, it can gives us, great, gives us great hope as well. Point number two, I want you to see here that the mighty God is in control of all things. So first of all, he says that the wonderful counselor reveals God's love for, for me. But secondly, secondly, he's called the mighty God. And what that does is it tells us that God's in control of all things. Look at verse number six again. It tells us his name shall be called wonderful counselor, the mighty God. To me probably one of the most hope-giving attributes of God is the fact that he is mighty. <laughs> the fact that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is in control, and he is a God who is able to do what no one else can do. He's able to save those who cry out to him for salvation. As the mighty God, he has the power and the knowledge to rescue people from trials and temptations. He has the power to deliver you from any bondage or oppression. And the same God who spoke the universe into existence, who revealed himself to prophets in the past, who spoke to Paul on the Damascus Road, who's seated at the right hand of God, is the same God who's interested in your life and will give you all of the strength and the power and might that you need to get through the life that you're in right now. The life that he's led you to. David put it this way in Psalm 46, verse number 1 through 3. He says, God is our refuge and strength. Don't you love that? God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Think about it. When you are in a moment of trouble, he is present and he's there to help you. Now, we feel the opposite, don't we? I'm in trouble. No one's there for me. No, when we are in trouble, that is when God is near to us. He's right there. 
He's our refuge, our strength. Verse 2 says, therefore, will not we fear? Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Look down at verse number 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And then verse number 11, it tells us here that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Think about that. He is there for you. The mighty God who has been and will be exalted is the one who's with you today. And I got to tell you, if he's able to walk with you through the fears that come into your life, then he's able to give you hope when you need hope in those difficult and troubling times. No matter what is going on in our lives, there is always hope because Jesus is not going to let you fall apart. In fact, Colossians tells us, Colossians 1.17, it tells us he is before all things and by him all things consist. The word consist there means bind, hold together. Our very lives, the very universe, we could go into all sorts of uh, study in this week. I, uh, uh, this week in my study on this verse of 117 here, uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole section of talking about atoms and subatomic particles and, and how uh, nobody knows what actually keeps them all together, you know. And I look at this verse and I say, it's God who keeps it all together. So if God can keep the very universe from exploding into pieces, guess what? He can hold your financial difficulties in the, difficulty in the palm of your hand. He can work out those personal relationship things that you're struggling with. He can be there for you in the trouble. He can rescue you from that temptation. He'll provide that way out for that sin that you're struggling with. He's there for you because he is the mighty God. And that gives us tremendous hope. That's why in 1 Peter 5, 7, it tells us to cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. 1 Peter chapter 5. Notice there in the first part of the verse. Let's get that on the screen. The first part of the verse, it says there, it says, casting all your care upon him, that is the command, okay? Then it says, for he careth for you, that is the promise. So many times in Scripture we see that, command and promise, command and promise. That's what he says, put your cares on me because I care for you. That's the promise that we see from God. And when we submit ourselves to this command of this promise, you know what's going to happen? Will, you will be surprised. I think that's a great word. You'll be surprised by the hope that you find in your life. <laughs> You'll be surprised. You'll be like, oh, I'm hopeful again. I have, I have joy again. And it's because we follow the pattern of command and promise, command and promise. And it's possible because he is the mighty God. Jesus, who came to this earth, is the mighty God. Another reason for our hope we see, number three this morning, is that the everlasting father keeps his promises. The everlasting father keeps his promises. I want you to see in verse number six again, he calls him the everlasting father. Now, the Christmas season brings challenges, uh, like I mentioned earlier. And one of the things that is challenging for parents is that right about December 1st, our children begin to sort of put onto us seemingly an endless list of desires. <laughs> All of a sudden, I don't know what it is, but December 1st hits and they're like, hey, dad, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and the older they get, the more intelligent they get about it. You know, sometimes they'll write a list for you and slip it under your door, right? Or, you know, or leave it on your Bible because they know you read your Bible, right? So there's a list. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, they'll leave it somewhere for you or they'll just say, you know, Dad, I would really like this. Or, or, or they all of a sudden talk about a certain toy or a certain thing all of the time, you know? Tell you about what all their friends got and all of these things. And there's sort of this endless idea, uh, endless thing going on. And, you know, when they were young, I used to say things like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're like, oh, dad, I don't know. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm just, 
I'm acknowledging what they're saying, okay? But now that they're a little bit older, when I say, yeah, 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 they're like, oh, you promise? That's what they say, you know, <laughs> you promise? And they've learned that, uh, that if I say yes, or, and, and I have to be very careful, I got to pay attention, you know, I can't be distracted, <laughs> you know, I can't be watching, watching a game or something, and then I got to pay attention. Because if I say yes to them, they'll say that now, they'll follow me like, you promise? You promise you'll get that for me? You promise you'll do that, Dad? You promise? You promise? And so I've learned to say things like, oh, I'll think about it, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, you know, I'll try my very best <laughs> maybe to do it. But the thing is, is that when a promise gets involved in a request, when a promise, it puts a whole nother level of weight to it, especially as a parent. Because, man, I want to be a dad who keeps his promises, right? I don't want to be that kind of dad. Dad promised this. He promised that. And he never came through. I want to be a dad who keeps his promises. I want to I be dependable. I want my kids to know that they can trust me. I want my wife to be able to trust me. And if I promise something, what I want personally is that if I promise I'm going to do something, I want it to be as good as done. Like, it's going to happen because my word, it means something. Because a promise carries weight to it, doesn't it? A promise carries weight. Now, I, I don't know what maybe your experience has been in life. Maybe you had a parent who always broke their promises to you. I, I don't know. But Jesus here, described to us as the everlasting Father, contains within himself, Jesus the Son of God, contains within himself the attributes of God the Father, and as the living Word of God, he will always keep his promises to you. He says he is the everlasting Father. He is the one who wants to be close to us. So when, when God says in Psalm chapter 84 and verse number 11, he says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Guess what? When he promises that, you can believe it. You can take it to the bank. When God promises something, he's going to follow through. When he says in Psalm 92 verse 12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. We talked about that already. See, I was right. Trees, okay? Cedar in Lebanon. He says the righteous will flourish. You follow the path of righteousness, you will flourish. And guess what? When God says it, he means it, and you can believe it. When he says in Isaiah 41, verse number 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Guess what? When he says it, you can believe it. It's a promise made to us. In John 14, 1, 3, uh, 1 through 3, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Guess what? He says it. You can believe it. He's the everlasting Father, and his promises are true. To me, there's something that is so hope-bringing as a Christian to my life to understand that I have a God who keeps his promises. In a time where a person's word is hard to count on, when it's so easy today for people to slander you or to abandon you or to push you aside, you can always remember that in Jesus Christ, we have an everlasting Father who promises to people of faith through the generations of life that the, the promises that he's made to those generations in the past are still promises to us today, and we can rely on them and we can trust on, on them, trust in them. Promises that we can hold on to in dark times. Promises we take to difficult places. Promises that will sustain us through hurt, trial, and even prosperity. <laughs> That's the one thing we always forget, right? No, his promises ring true when things are going all right for you as well in earth, on this earth. Often when it's just a struggle that we turn to his promises. But listen, when things are going well, you need to rely on his promises as well. 
Because there's some promises in there about what happens when we rely on wealth, right? When we rely on, on our earthly possessions and what we feel we've done. We've got to remember that his promises are true. Jesus is the Messiah will love his people as a father loves his children. He'll care for us. He will nurture and nourish us. He will comfort and assure us. He'll instruct us. He'll inform us. He'll lead us. He'll guide us. He'll correct and discipline. God will do anything for his people because he has such a deep, loving care and concern for us. And when God promises something to us, he's going to see it through. He's going to see it through. And for us as Christians today, that should give us tremendous hope. As we think of Jesus Christ and him coming to earth, and we think of the fact that he was described in these ways, he was described uh, as the wonderful counselor, he's described as the mighty God, and he's described as an everlasting father, and as an everlasting father, no matter how much your earthly father may have let you down, he's always going to fulfill his promises to you. Always. He's always going to fulfill his promises to you. I want you to see the last one in Isaiah chapter 9, number 4, that the Prince of Peace has made peace with God for me. The Prince of Peace has made peace with God for me. Look again at verse number six. And why don't you guys say that last phrase with me in chapter, uh, chapter nine, verse six, where it says, and his name. Ready? Let's go from there. Begin. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. I'm gonna talk about this for a few minutes here. There's two elements when it comes to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, being the Prince of Peace. First of all, we know that He is the promised Savior of the world. He is the one who will bring peace to the human heart, eventually peace to the nations. Note the word here where it says He's the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Peace, which indicates, of course, uh, what Scripture talks about, which is to come, where He will be the ruler who governs in peace and how He'll achieve His uh, purposes through methods of peace and carry on His work uh, with a peaceful spirit. The people eventually over who he will rule as the Prince of Peace will be people of peace. Notice the word peace there a lot, right? A lot of peace going on. <coughs> when he rules during that time, there will be, of course, no more war and divisiveness and prejudice, hatred, all of these things that we struggle with today. Peace will reign throughout the world. But even as we look forward to that, the thing that we have to realize about God is not only will he bring peace eventually to this earth, but he can bring peace to our hearts right now. And that's the great thing about Jesus Christ, is that while we look forward to a peace to come, He can also give us peace right in the here and now in our hearts. He can solve the problem of mankind's alienation from God. Remember, before we accepted Christ, we were separated from Him, right? We're separated from Him because of our sin. His judgment was upon us. But because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, <coughs> the Savior, the Prince of Peace, we have an opportunity to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, it tells us, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is going to reconcile, restore people to God. And when we are reconciled to God, we can have true peace with God. And the peace of God can flood our hearts. So often we will say to people who, who, uh, who are struggling or who, um, <coughs> who are searching for peace, I will go to this and I'll, I'll share this with them. True peace that you are, the peace that you're searching for, that you're desiring for, can only be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus took upon himself the full weight 
of the wrath of God and he shed his blood to pay the penalty of our sins. And when we turn from our sin, when we recognize in faith the gift of eternal life, we then can know for sure that our sins are forgiven. And we can know for sure and have that hope based off of the death of Jesus Christ for us. And no longer at odds with God, no longer at war, no longer the enemy of God, but friends with God, accepted, reconciled to Him. And for, in Colossians 1, verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him, to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometimes a, uh, sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. I want to close today with an illustration of a man by the name of Don Richardson. I've got his picture up here, and he was a missionary. This is a photo of him some 50 years ago now, of him and his wife and his oldest son. Uh, I believe his son's name was Steve. And uh, he was a missionary to the, uh, really at that time, 50 years ago, was a cannibalistic nation. Um, they were headhunters, and it was the Sawi tribe um, on the Indonesian side, which is connected to Papua New Guinea, you know, that kind of where that border is, it's right in that area. They were known for their cannibalism. They were known as a, really a very violent people that this specific tribe was always at war with neighboring tribes. And in fact, one of their tactics is what they would do is that they would pretend to want to get along with the other tribe. And so they would bring gifts and they would bring other things like that. And then when they had gained their trust, they would turn on them and they would destroy that tribe. And, and so part of their culture was literally a lifting up of treachery. It was a magnification of deceptiveness, of being deceiving. And so uh, no one had really made any inroads with them before. They weren't necessarily a danger to him and his family, but regardless, well, they, they were a danger to him and his family, but he had gone on ahead of time, had actually built a home, had built some relationships with the people. And so now he was returning. This is a photo of them as they were returning with his wife and, uh, and, uh, and son to that tribe to live there permanently. He spent many, many, many years of his life there. But over the years, he just struggled as, as everyone, uh, the people in the tribe, they just, they just struggled so much with understanding Jesus Christ. They just couldn't, they couldn't get, in fact, when he would teach them the stories of the Bible, they thought Judas was the man. Seriously. They, they, they applauded. They got excited when they heard about Judas. They're like, wow, that's amazing. He betrayed him. Wow. They, see, I'm serious. That's serious. And uh, his, his wife was a, a registered nurse, and they did a lot of health things there in the community. And obviously, though, he would just try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this, with this culture and, and share with them. And, and they thought Judas was just, was just the man. But that all changed for him and for the, the tribe, really, when he for the first time experienced a custom that was very unique to this specific tribe, and it was a, uh, it was a custom that, that they had come up with, and he had never experienced before until there was a time of, of, of really they were facing a war, there was a battle that was going on between his, the tribe that, where they lived and another tribe, and they reached a point where they followed through with this uh, tradition, whatever you want to call it, but the custom was called the peace child, the peace child. And basically what they would do is the chief of one of the tribes that wanted to end the war would literally give his child, his son, 
um, to the other tribe as a, as, a, as a gesture. And so he would give his son as a gesture to the other tribe, indicating his desire for peace. And the custom was is that as long as that child was alive, there was to be peace between those two tribes. Missionary Richardson, when he saw that and experienced that some 50 plus years ago, being uh, there uh, in that situation, he took that custom and he used it to teach the people there about the reconciling work of God through Jesus Christ. He began to explain to them how through Jesus Christ, he was God's peace child to men. (laughs) And uh, because Christ lives eternally through him, there would always be peace between God and those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Interesting, after, after he was able to explain it in that way, uh, the story is told that it just sort of clicked with them. And they were like, oh, <laughs> they just totally got it. And it's interesting, I, I, I watched a little documentary, and you can look it up as well. It, it's, it's really cool. But many of, the, of that tribe came to believe in Jesus Christ. Through that, a church emerged. And they took that same uh, passion that they used to funnel into warfare and, and, and all of these difficult things, and they, and they funneled it into now reaching other tribes and reaching out. In the documentary I, wa- uh, I watched, he went back 50 years later with his son and returned to that tribe, and, uh, and it was amazing to see the difference that was there. Hundreds and hundreds of people came. Many of them still remembered him, remember when he arrived, and uh, it, was a cool, it was a cool story to watch and, and to watch the, his return to that tribe. But the fact is that an entire culture was changed. They left aside cannibalism and all those things. was totally changed as they understood the truth of the peace child and the hope that Jesus Christ can bring. See, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he can bring peace between you and God when you trust in him. And I believe for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, that gives us great, tremendous hope, doesn't it? Tremendous hope. Tremendous hope. See, each of these characteristics that we see here in Isaiah can give us hope. And that's really what it's all about today. It's all about hope. The characteristics, the way that Isaiah described the coming was that there's hope for us in the struggles. There's hope for us in the chaos. There's hope in his promises and hope and a message of hope, really, that we can share with those we have connections with. So I just want to ask one quick question this morning. Simply, is Jesus your hope this Christmas? Is Jesus your hope this Christmas? What are you trusting in? Maybe, maybe right now you're just sort of struggling a little bit. You're, you're having a rough time. Are you putting your hope in Jesus Christ? Is he a real, relevant part of your, of your Christmas? Or are you allowing the stress and the challenges you're going through control your heart and attitude? It's a simple thought. But I hope that you'll return to Isaiah 9, verse number 6 this week, and look at those again. That Jesus Christ... He is a wonderful counselor. He wants to be there beside you. He wants to be close to you, which I think is the greatest thing. He wants to be close to you. He's the mighty God. He has all the power in this world, everything that we need to trust in him and to uh, everything that we need to get through what we're facing in life today. He's also a father who will keep his promises to us. It may be that maybe during the season you need to go and just look through some promises in the word of God and just be like, all right. That's right. He's going to keep that promise to me. He's going to walk with me. He's going to be there with me. He's going to help me get through this. Recently, uh, uh, recently I was facing some things, and I was talking to Jeanette about it, and, and, and we were talking about it a little bit. And, and isn't it funny how, like, when you're in the middle of a, of a difficult time, that's, like, the biggest thing, right? You know, that's, like, the biggest thing. 
And we were talking a little bit, and, and I, I had to say it because I was under conviction. And the way the Lord convicted me was that, you know what? I brought you through more difficult things than this. <laughs> that's what he said to me. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Th- think about it. The thing you're facing right now, the challenge you're in right now that seems hopeless, think, think about your past. Think about the things that God has brought you through, that he's taught you through, and trust in those promises. And then just simply remember that through this season, Jesus Christ, yes, it was Uh, It's a great story of him coming to this earth and being born and all of those things. But remember, he came for a purpose. He came for a purpose to bring peace. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do not have peace within your heart. Would you trust in him today? He's calling to you. Would you trust in him today and receive that peace that he so desires for you to have with him? We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will continue to do a unique work as you pursue His will for your life.